All right, well, we are back in Romans 13 tonight. We're talking about Christians and government or Christians and politics or Christians and government slash politics. Any or all of those things are what we're talking about tonight. And so I want to just review, if you would, uh, take a look there at the screen. We'll review everything we've covered so far. I'm not going to talk about it all, but there it all is, the next slide, in all of its glory right there. We've looked at the command to submit to ruling authorities in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. We've seen reasons to commit. We started looking at those three, four weeks ago. Uh, We should finish up those reasons tonight. But we saw that several of those reasons we've got listed there. God established the principle and the structures of all human authorities. God has appointed all who occupy positions of authority in government. And if we refuse to submit to government authority without biblical grounds, then we are opposing God's ordinance, which means we are sinning against God. Now, that ideal of apart from biblical grounds or without biblical grounds is key because last week, then we looked at how we can rightly um, disobey governing authorities. And so ultimately, if an edict, um, a law, a verdict, a ruling that we're supposed to obey causes us to sin, then obviously we must obey God rather than men. That was kind of the summation of all of those examples we looked at last week. And then we saw um, D, God has appointed government the role of maintaining order by punishing wrong and praising good. That's in Romans 13, verse 3. And then lastly, we saw that God established government and appointed rulers for our good. So government and rulers were designed by God to be for our good. That's the design. Does that guarantee that those rulers and those governments will be ultimately good for for the people, the subjects that they're over? Not necessarily, but that's God's intent and God's design. That's why we don't just throw out all governments. And also, let me just say that nowhere in Romans 13 or anywhere else in Scripture does it say only the American-style government is legitimate government from God, okay? That only came in existence some couple hundred years ago. Now, governments have existed from the beginning. In fact, government can be traced all the way back to Genesis. And we could look at its, uh, its, its ordering in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 from the very beginning, the way God established humanity. But we begin to see it really come to fruition in Genesis 10. Genesis 10 is really where government begins to take a, 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 a more, um, what, what's the word, a more a visual, I guess, uh, perspective. They're from scriptures. We begin to see government more clearly. That's what I'm trying to say. And so let's look tonight. We're going to start some new things tonight. Still finishing up Romans 13 tonight. Uh, we'll hit on a few areas where we're going to dig in and we're going to apply then the things that we've learned. And so uh, if time allows and if, uh, uh, well, Time will not allow, but actually time would allow, but technology won't allow. Time probably won't allow either because you know how I talk. But there's a video uh, that I want to mention. I was going to try to show it, but it's just not cooperating tonight. But some of you have already seen it, I'm sure. Um, But I want to allude to it and then give you the opportunity to uh, maybe find the link, at least writing the name down and all that sort of stuff so you can look at it later. But that's coming. For now, let's go ahead and open up to Romans 13 and let's... Go ahead and reread all of these seven verses. And then, Romans 13, right, verses 1 through 7. And then we'll finish up. We're going to look at a few extra points here tonight and finish up this study of Romans 13. So, verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers, verse 3, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Verse 5. Therefore, it's necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. 
For because of this you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Now, I couldn't help but get a little tickled when I read um, in verse uh, 3 and 4 there. So look back at verse 3 and 4. Uh, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise for the same. And then in my mind, I thought here in a, in a, a second hesitation kind of reading of this, it might say, uh, do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Or be a really, 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 really good lawbreaker like the guy who stole our lawnmower Saturday night. Because it looks as if he's getting away clean. He was that good. Um, but, but don't be like that. That was just the way my twisted mind works. So, so we've seen these seven verses, all right? Romans 13. And this follows, as we've already talked about, Romans 1 through 12. And we know in Romans 1 through 12, really Romans 1 through 11, heavy theology, heavy doctrine, heavy, this is the kind of stuff we should believe in Christ as Christians. Chapter 12 says, therefore, in view of God's tender mercies, in view of all God's done in saving us and making us his own, this is how we are to live. And we see that throughout the New Testament, especially Paul's writings, that there's doctrine, there's belief, and then there's application. Uh, and so I've called it before when we were studying Ephesians. Remember Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 were heavy theology. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 were walkology. This is how we live. This is how we walk and move and interact. And so chapter 13 comes in part of that application. And so based on God saving us and God remaking us and changing us and our being new creations, then Romans 13 says this is how you respond to government. And again, it's all authorities. And so it's not just, um, it's not just the American constitutional republic which I would say is even not necessarily in practice right now, right? And there's certainly a push to change this into a mob rule type of democracy. Or worse, a Marxist or, uh, well, let's say socialist slash Marxist type of regime. But we know that socialism is only Marxism light, right? And so all socialism ultimately leads to the destruction of the country or to Marxism, which then will lead to the destruction of the nation. But, but I digress. That's for another time. So for tonight, let's go ahead and look at these last few points, if you will. Um, and so they're in Romans 13. We're in verse 4. We're in verse 4. And, and specifically, we're in verse 4b, like the last part there of verse 4. And here is the point for tonight. This would be point F if you've been following ABCD with those reasons to submit as he's laid out a number of these things. This one would say that to refuse to submit, you will justly suffer wrath through the government that God has established. Now, a couple key words, refusing, all right, to submit so that's a volitional, intentional refusal to submit. You will then justly suffer the wrath of the government. That's God's wrath being exercised temporally here through government. And it's just. Evildoers justly get the due penalty of their evil doing. Does that make sense? To, so to refuse to submit. And so that's why we read there um, in verse 4. The minister of God, obviously, we looked at this last time, is for good. So the design is good. That doesn't mean that uh, any leader is necessarily a good leader, but the intent and the design of government is good. Right? The Bible would tell us that there's none good, not one. That's why there's no perfect government except for the future rule of Christ here on the earth. There will be no good government, quote-unquote, because there are no good, quote-unquote, biblically speaking, Governors or rulers. We're all fallen, sinful creatures, and therefore we will make fallen, sinful mistakes. And so there will be a perfect government one day. That's that millennial kingdom I can't wait for. But he goes on to say here, If you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not, meaning the government, does not bear the sword for nothing. For it, the government, is a minister of God. The ruling authority is a minister of God. Uh, an avenger who brings wrath to the one who practices evil. And I almost, actually, I didn't misspeak there. It's not the government plural or the government entity that uh, it is the ruler. Whoever that authority is, is the one who is a minister of God. So to refuse then to obey unless they call on us to sin is to 
um, refuse God, and therefore we should suffer just wrath from the government. So that's the design of government. Government rewards good. Government should uh, punish evil. That's the way it's designed. Now, obviously, we know that things get turned on its head, and oftentimes, and I believe we're beginning to see that here, governments are now punishing good and rewarding evil by God's definition. So tuck that away. We acknowledge that. But how do we respond to that? Just hold on to that. We're going to come back to that before the night's done. But that is another reason that we submit because a refusal to submit will justly bring about the punishment from the government. And here's another reason in verse 5. Verse 5 says, Therefore, it's necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. So here's the, the letter G reason. We should obey government because it is right and reflects God's plan for humanity. Romans 13 is God's idea for human authority, human government. Now, I'm speaking of political or government authority here. We know that there are four realms of government that are, excuse me, four realms of authority that God has given us, right? And we've talked about those before. We're going to come to those again in a minute. But government's one, economy and, and um, uh, finance, economy, education is the other realm. And then uh, our employment, I should say, not education, but employment, economy or employment. And then the church and then the family. So government, economy, employment, church, and then family. Those are the four realms of authority that the Bible speaks about our being under. Okay, and so... Remember those. We're going to come back to them again in a few moments as well. But here's another reason that we submit in verse 6. So look at verse 6. You realize there are two verses left and we'll be done with Romans 13 verses 1 through 7. It's miraculous how quickly we're going through here. But these are very self-explanatory, are they not? I mean, they're telling us the the reasons right there. So in verse 6, for instance... For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. So what's the principle that we see? A reason, a principled reason that we submit is because the authorities are God's servants. And they are to be devoted to fulfilling His purposes in society. Now, does that mean that every governing authority is intentionally wanting to serve God and His purposes? Absolutely not. We know that most today are not willfully doing that. And yet, by God's sovereign decree, they are in the places of authority that they are in, that they find themselves in. Even wicked rulers God appoints and uses. I know that's odd. I know that doesn't sit well with the masses, but that is what we see in Scripture, is it not? Remember our our study we've looked at a few weeks in a row here about Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar from Daniel chapter 1 was chosen for the purpose of conquering God's people. An evil, wicked ruler. Remember, he would quarter people by horse-drawn carriages, rip their bodies. I mean, he was a vile, uh, ruthless ruler. And yet God chose Nebuchadnezzar to conquer Jerusalem, capture Godly, like Daniel and and his buddies, capture godly people and bring them into a wicked society. And God used them for good, not just for their good, but he used them even for the good of that wicked society. That is huge when it comes to our thinking about how we as Christians interact in a wicked government. Our government is becoming increasingly more wicked, is it not? And yet we see precedent after precedent in the Scripture, not president, but precedent uh, of how Christian or how godly people. Now, Daniel, Shadrach, those guys, they were before Christ, so they weren't Christians by by that definition, right? They were they were they were saved by grace alone through faith alone, still just like Abraham. So so this is before the cross, but they are God's people in fellowship with God, and they are responding to a wicked government by still being godly. They didn't sink down to practicing wickedness um, through their speech or their behavior or anything else. We're going to talk about that in a moment as well. But so they, they respected the authority that was over them and viewed those authorities as falling under the authority of God. Daniel himself. Daniel spoke the truth still to Nebuchadnezzar when he was a wicked ruler. Daniel... Um, Basically, is the one responsible for bringing him, or he was an instrument. He's not responsible. God does the saving. But God used Daniel to bring Nebuchadnezzar to saving 
grace, I believe. I think we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. I think, uh, I think the testimony that he gives in, in Daniel chapter 5 just speaks of the fact that he came humbly before God, recognizing that there was no other God except for him. And, and the things that he said, even writing part of the Bible here, he wrote. That's Nebuchadnezzar who wrote part of Daniel. And so that's a good testimony to the fact that God used Daniel and those others to bring about a changed heart in this wicked ruler. That gives us something to attain to, does it not? How do we, how do we live and exist and, and breathe and move and, and, and be a part of a society that's wicked? We do the things we're commissioned to do by Christ. We still honor Christ. And, and I may very well uh, jump out of Second Thessalonians this Sunday and talk about that. I, I, I'm just really kind of feeling led that way. It, it fits still with our part, chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians, but I think I'm going to take a little, a little trail Sunday and talk about how we live, how we are to, how we should live in the days that we find ourselves in. I think we've talked about it a lot already, but I think I'm going to just hone in on that this Sunday. So, so just pray, pray for me that I would make sure that I will honor the Lord and, and choose what He would have me preach on. And so just throwing that out there. But here, here are those reasons. And so that one, um, the authorities are God's servants, all right? So we see that. Now, now turn to John 19, 11, if you would, momentarily. With that ideal in mind, that principle, that reason to submit... The authorities are God's servants devoted to fulfilling His purposes in society. Governments are established by God for God's purposes. And so the the authority himself, the authority or herself, that person proper may not want to honor God and fulfill God's purposes. And yet, because God is sovereign, they nonetheless are fulfilling God's purposes. And so, in John 19.11, we see Jesus speaking to this idea, this principle... He's, he is there on trial before Pilate. He's been shuffled around already. There's been a number of mock trials. Uh, illegal trials have already taken place with the religious leaders. And now Jesus is before Pilate. And, and um, Pilate's going to ship him off to Herod. And then he's going to come back to Pilate. But, but this is why he's talking to Pilate there in John 19. And, and Pilate basically says to him, hey, don't you realize I can set you free? I mean, I'm paraphrasing. That's the, that's the quick Kevin version, okay? But he's basically saying, uh, they, your people, the Jews, they want to kill you. I've got the power to release you. Uh, you should probably be pleading your case to me. Because Jesus was just being Jesus, and he was not answering the way Pilate expected or wanted him to answer. Remember when he was accusing him? And so, so he says, hey, don't you realize I have the power to release you? And Jesus answered in John nineteen eleven, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. And that's the key. All authority is dispersed from the Lord God. Amen. So a good leader in Washington, great, thank you, God. A bad leader in Washington, thank you, God. I mean, it's still hard to say I get it. And then we should pray for them if they're sinful. Pray for their salvation. See how we could be an instrument in bringing about their salvation. Uh, I mean, that, that could mean any number of things. Obviously praying, but maybe we need to take a field trip. Maybe we need to be, you know, go to Washington and try to find a way to get a message. I mean, how burdened are we for the loss? That's something we're going to talk about Sunday, I think. So, so again, the authority comes from God. And so we should therefore submit. That's part of the, the, the line of reasoning that Romans 13 covers, that Paul gives us. In Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Excuse me, my nose is tickle, tickle, tickle here. <clears throat> my nose is tickle. I'm so glad that went out over Facebook. My nose is tick- tickled. It's, uh, it's itching. That's the word. Um, uh, did I still say it right? I still... Anyway, just forget it. Anyway, um, thank you for laughing at me. Yes, that was an at me, not a with me. And that's okay. So those are the reasons. Now, remember when Paul writes Romans. Remember, he's under Nero. When he's writing these things, this was not a good godly government. And so he had it, you know, made that Christians were on easy street. And so therefore, it's real easy for him to write, to submit. They were under Nero. And I know the type, the timing, the, I mean, this was, um, you know, back in that first century AD, obviously. And, 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 and so it's a different world that we're in. Yeah, I get all that. I, their type of government was different. I get all that. And yet there's nothing in Romans 13 that, that qualifies the type of governing authority 
authority that's over us. It says every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, plural. So whatever that government system and those authorities that are over us, we should be in subjection. And not just we Christians, but every soul, every person. Remember, we talked about that that first week. All humanity is to be under governing authorities. Now, how much does all humanity like to be under any authority? About that much, right? Even Christians, we find when we see things on social media about how our government is wrongfully behaving, what, what, is, our, what is our instinct? My, my kids could tell you what my go-to response is. Oh, I can't believe. I mean, just, you're, uh, I guess that's how you do it, right? You're scrolling across the screen and, and then you realize that you're on your laptop and it's not touch screen. So you get that clicker and you're trying to get off of that page. And is it just me or does anyone else find themselves uh, sinking to that, that level oftentimes? Yeah, close social media, turn off the news. In fact, can you imagine how much more peace we would have in, in, in Christ if we got off social media and the news altogether? I mean, j- just, just imagine. So, so just, just remember that. And so thankfully, Christians, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And so thankfully that when we're doing that, we should feel a little twinge of conviction. I mean, it should be a gut-wrencher, right? That, hey, sinner, you need to repent. Oh, yes, Lord, you're correct. I do need to repent. And so I trust you, God. Thank you for what we're going through. I mean, we should be very quick to respond to God's prompting, should we not? And so saying all of those things brings us to now this, which I think is the most important part of this whole, of this whole uh, treatise here about, about government. And this is in one verse. And, and, and you think, one verse, this is the most important part? Yeah, I do, because this is the practical part. So this now gets into some examples of how we relate now to government. So this would be like our duties, especially for us Christians, because again, Romans was written to the church, it's written to Christians. So how are we to, be, uh, how are we to respond then to government? What's our duties? And so in verse 7, you'll remember, we just read it a few moments ago. Render to all that is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now, is that all we're to do? No, that's just a principle. I think this is a, just a broad kind of brush view. Other places in Scripture, we see other things that we're to do. We'll look at a few of those passages tonight, uh, should time allow. But just note a few things there. And and, uh, 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 if you'll go to the next screen, I think. Yeah, there you go. Look, there's just a few things that come that jump out of there. What do we do? Well, we pay our taxes. How many of you love paying taxes? I mean, it's like pulling teeth, right? But it's our civic responsibility as a part of this nation. And I still think this great nation, the United States of America, I would not want to live in another nation. We are way better off than other societies, other nations on this planet. Even the poorest amongst us in our, in our nation is still more wealthy than the majority of the rest of the world. You realize that, right? We, we are blessed to have been born here. I mean, and, and it's a blessing we're blessed. And, and, and I know there's battles going on about political correctness and about uh, white privilege and, and, and Black Lives Matter and, 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 and our, our, um, there's, there's like this thing called critical race theory that's just prevalent in everything in, in the church today. It's, that's a big issue. We'll talk more about that later. But all of these things are happening. And what all of us, it seems, on social media at least, in the news, what we all forget is that we are blessed to have been born here. It doesn't matter how any of our ancestors arrived here. The people who are alive and breathing today, you and I are blessed to be here today. We are better off than almost anyone else in the world because we're here. And that's not something we should take for granted. We should be grateful. We should be grateful. And so whether we are light brown or what the media is calling white skinned, right? They act as if it's just white and black. That's wrong. That's narrow-minded. It's a sinful point of view even because it's prideful and, and uh, it takes uh, the, the trueness of God's um, design for humanity, takes it for granted, uh, and really just kind of throws it out the door, right? And uh, then buries it under a whole load of dirt and then builds something on top of it so they don't have to see it at all. But again, remember there's one race 
And it's not a white or black type race situation like we're at odds. There's one race of humanity. We know that here, right? But, but we need to remember it. One race, the human race, we're all shades of brown from light skin to dark skin. Depends on how much melanin we have. But we are all the one same family, right? From the, from, as far as humanity goes, deriving from the original man and woman, Adam and Eve. And then you can trace us through Noah and Mrs. Noah or Ham, Sham, Japheth and Mrs. Ham, Sham and Japheth, right? Their wives. All of us are related through those families, all of us. Now, today, the real divide, and again, this is review, I know, for us here, but the real divide is not between whiteness and blackness. The real divide is between belonging to the family of God or still being lost in this world. That's the real division, is it not? We're children of God or we're children of the devil. Children of Satan, what's that? Wrath. Children of, and that's right. We're under wrath. And then, wow, what, 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 a, what, a, what a concept there. And we've just seen some of that right now. But that's it. God's children are not under wrath, but the children of the devil are. Well, I'm not either one of those. Some might say, I don't believe in all that stuff. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you believe. This is bigger than any person's belief. This is from God. And God says, children of me, ch- children of me, children of God, children that belong to me, God would say, or children that are part of the world system, their father is the devil. That's what Jesus said. And therefore, they would be under his wrath. That's the only two options there are. And so if we're drawn into debates, or I'm sorry, hang on, healthy discussions, right? If we're drawn into those, you, you like those, right? If we're drawn into those healthy discussions on social media, we need to remember that we're talking to people who are either children of God or children of the devil. If they're children of the devil, their eyes have been blinded to the truth. What they need is a healthy dose of God, right? You can argue, and I've followed a few. I've followed something from Brent here earlier. And, and Brent, well, well-worded defense of his beliefs, but you know what the, the real picture is? Even in all of those things that I've seen on social media, people either know God, really, and they belong to God, or they don't. And if they don't belong to God, nothing we're going to say on social media is going to change this because this is bad, right? Even when they think that they do. And many will say to me on that day, Christ Jesus says, Lord, Lord, did we not? And what will he say? Depart from me. I never knew you. People have made up a God that they want to follow. One who's pro-abortion and, and, and whatever, right? But there's a true God. And so, what do we do here? Let's get back to this. I'm sorry, I'm preaching a whole other sermon here. But let's get back to this. So, the duties of our submission. We pay our taxes. Tax to whom taxes do. Our system, it's a good system. And the way it's set up is good. I think, I think this is a good system. It's not perfect, obviously. Could it be tweaked to be better? I'm sure it could by people much smarter than me, mind you, okay? But, but certainly, it's better than, than anything else out there that I'm aware of. So we pay taxes. It's based on our income level, right? And those who make more money pay more taxes. Well, wait a minute. There's that whole thing that the wealthiest only pay you know, a smaller proportion, And that's kind of true on the surface. But if you would do your homework, you would realize that even though that proportion looks smaller, that the wealthiest couple of percent of people in America pay the bulk of the taxes in America. People don't realize that. Sure, they may only pay a couple percent, but that couple percent they're paying of their wealth and of their fortune that they've made, most of them, right? That couple percent pays like 90-something percent of all of the taxes in America. I don't remember the exact percentages, but it's huge. It's, it's huge. And, and there's a wall over Sorry, I couldn't help myself. That's, I can't do Trump. That was I was trying. It's going to be huge, and, and none of y'all are laughing except Heather. Okay, let's just move on. So pay your taxes. It's, a, it's what we're supposed to do. There it is. That's it. It's going to be huge. And so my, my kids are embarrassed. They're leaving. They're walking out right now. No, they're not. They're not leaving. But so what do we do? We pay our taxes. What else do we do? We obey the laws and the verdicts, right? We do. We, we should obey the laws. If I'm a Christian in this society, and I am, I'm to obey the law. Again, unless the law does what? Sin. Causes me to sin. Uh, urges me to sin. A law can't force me to sin. I still sin on my own. But if the law... Um, 
would encourage or urge me to sin or demand that I sin, right? I still am the one who willfully would sin. But so I obey the laws and the verdicts uh, to that point. I honor the officials and rulers. Daniel, again, worked for evil, vile, ruthless Nebuchadnezzar. He honored the position. He respected the authority. And he was still godly. And he only... Um, opposed Nebuchadnezzar when Nebuchadnezzar and then the, the rulers after him, um, Darius and those others, he only refused their commands when they called on him to uh, sin, when they called on him to disobey God. So we obey, we honor those who are uh, in positions of authority. Now, the way our system is set up where um, the senders and whatnot work forever uh, personally, I don't like that, but that's the law of the land right now. Um, I would like to see us vote a term limit like the president has a term limit. I think it would be healthy for congressmen and all to have some sort of term limit. Now, maybe it's 10 years or 12 years. I mean, I don't know what would be right, but whatever it would be, I, everybody's going two, two. Uh, that's probably safest. Again, that's beyond my expertise, but, but, but our law right now, the way it's set up is they're in there until, you know, the cows come home, it would seem like. And so what do we do? We, we need to respect that or go through the legitimate legal uh, ways that we've been given as parts of the society to do what? To get them out of there and set term limits. I mean, we have, we have recourse here and it's called the law. And so if we follow the law and if we can vote and there's enough people who are on board, but... But again, I know politics gets involved. And when you get politics, you've got blood-sucking um, ticks. I mean, so anyway. But, but so honor the officials and the rulers. And, then, and, then, and this is big, and I think this one we take for granted. And this isn't here, but we're going to see something about this uh, in a few moments. We should pray for our nation and for its leaders. And we should be doing that. And, and hopefully we're doing that, right, as Christians. We should be praying for those. Um, I mean, the first president I remember being cognizant of was Carter. And the only reason I remember Carter, I think I was in like fourth or fifth grade, but I remember Carter, it's like in the 70s. Um, I remember we had Americans held hostage in Iran, if memory serves, wasn't it in Iran? And so um, our class, um, what, what we, we, we were privileged in our class. Uh, we were, uh, there was this, I don't remember what the name was, but the program, we were like this, an accelerated kind of thing. And that's not important, but the important part was because of the design of that particular class that I got to be a part of at that young age, I was booted out in, in later, but the point is I was in it then. And so uh, we were able to watch TV, watch the news, get to write and, and make like cr- do some critical thinking kind of exercises based on the news. And it was, it was a neat way to learn. Uh, so I'm very grateful for Miss Baldwin and Miss Dowin, uh, Dow, Dow, Dowin that I had. Dowin? Dowin. Say it again. Dowin. Dowin. Dowies, whoever. Well, I, can't, I still can't hear y'all, but, but that, that teacher, she was great. I can't remember her name, but she made a big impact on me. Um, but, but we were blessed. So, so fourth and fifth grade, whatever year that was, I can't remember, but we're watching all of this play now. This is like during election time and, and uh, Reagan was running, remember? And, and these hostages were being held. And so, so we were following that. So that's my earliest memory. I also remember that, that January when, when Reagan took office, what happened to those to those prisoners, that he got them set free just like that. I remember uh, because he didn't just play games. He said, "Here's the line. If you cross it, I will act." And he laid down the law, and they they believed him because that's the kind of person that he was. He said what he meant. He meant what he said. I, I thought he was a good leader. Now again, I was pretty young. That was the '80s, so so that was up to my senior year in high school, I believe. But I remember Reagan the most. And then after Reagan, I uh, kind of fell out of who followed him for a little bit. I think it was a Bush in there maybe, right? And, and uh, you know, uh, then I, I was saved at this point. And so my memories of Bush were that this guy's a globalist. He's, he's promoting, he even said one world government. I, I think I read about that in the book of Revelation. And so, so I'm thinking, you know, uh, this guy, he may have an R in front of his name or after his name, but he's promoting some things. So I began to think now, 
biblically, not just critically, but biblically about who our leaders were. It wasn't just that I could get on an American bandwagon like behind Reagan. And for me, that was. I mean, all right, go Reagan. I had a T-shirt back then. I can still remember. Um, but, 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 but now I'm thinking, what are these people standing for? Republican, Democrat, it doesn't matter. What do they stand for? Are they godly? Are the things that they're pushing godly things? So I began, as I'm growing and, you know, age now, maturing a little bit. And we're not going to lie, right? But just a little bit of maturing. Um, but spiritually growing, knowing the Lord more, reading the Word more, beginning to look at things differently. It's not just a critical examination. It's a biblical examination. And Christian, that's how we should respond, is it not? That's how we should respond. But I can remember when I started praying. I didn't pray for Reagan. I wasn't saved. I wasn't saved. I didn't pray for, was it um, the first bush that followed him? I, I, I was a new Christian. I didn't know I was supposed to be praying for those guys. They, they're doing their thing. I'm going to do my thing. But as I'm growing, I began to learn to pray for them. We should. The Bible tells us to. But we pray for our nation. We pray for its leaders. You realize, and, and I know you do, we've talked about it, and, and others are talking about it that you are watching or listening to their services. Our nation is wicked. We're, we deserve the judgment of God according to Romans chapter 1, do we not? I mean, if for nothing else other than abortion. We murder babies. We murder babies at a rate more than any other nation except maybe Israel. We kind of do this, which is sad. I mean, Israel, God's chosen people? Yes, because apart from Christ, we are sinners. We're fallen. Oh, we're depraved. But anyway, we need to pray. What's that? And then we try to justify. And murder cannot be justified. War can Capital punishment can. We may talk about those next time. Um, they kind of fall under these things. But the point for right now is pray for our nation. Pray for its leaders. Listen, I don't like Nancy Pelosi as a politician. I think her policies and her, her, um, her methods, I think they're pretty wicked. And I'm, I'm saying this publicly, but that's, that's what I think. All right? um, I like Trump's policies. I'm not a fan of Trump. Right? Uh, I like the policies that he's made. I definitely don't like his social media skills. I, I, I think someone should smash every electronic device within a like five mile radius of the man, okay? He needs to be like handcuffed or something to keep his thumbs and his fingers from tweeting and posting and all of those things. Uh, he would be much more respectable, I think, if he would get off social media. But still, but still, and, and again, he's not perfect. He's, he's got advisors in place that I think are poorly chosen. Uh, his religious advisor is godless, Paula, whatever her name is now. Um, but, but again, so, so not, I'm not saying he's perfect and he's great or any of those things. There's plenty of room for improvement. But what we need to do is pray for him, right? I mean, he's a Republican. Of course, we're going to pray for, for the Republican, says all the Republicans, but if you're a Republican, we should be praying for Nancy Pelosi as well. But she's a Democrat, and she's, she's worth millions and millions. Of, how does she make all that money as a congressperson? The same way the other ones did. Dealing under the... No, I don't know. I don't know how she made all of her money, okay? But I know I need to pray for her. I mean, yeah, yeah. Listen, yeah, I am not suicidal. If, I, if, if you read that I committed suicide, please investigate, okay? Please investigate. Please investigate. So, I had no idea this was going to be this fun tonight. But listen, we need to pray for Nancy Pelosi. We need to pray for Trump. We need to pray for, for, for our leaders, regardless of what side of the aisle they sit upon. We need to pray for them. Yes, we need to pray for Hillary Clinton. Absolutely. Well, she's not in there. No, but I bet she is somehow. Okay, We need to be praying for her. We, need, we do. We need to pray for our leaders. It's what we're called upon to do. And so and, and turn to 1 Timothy. Turn to 1 Timothy. These, these aren't up there on the screen, but I mean, you could pull it up on the Bible if you want to, but you should have your Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 2, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Chapter, uh, what did I say? Chapter 2? Yeah. Verses 1 and 2. I think I may have said two different chapters here. Chapter 2, ver first two verses. Chapter 2, verses 1, 2. 2, 1, 2. 1, T, 2, 1, 2. First of all, then, 
Paul tells young Timothy, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority. Now, we don't have a king, right? But we have all who are in authority over us so that, and here's the reason, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So that even tells us something to pray for as Christians in a society that may not be Christian, quote unquote. Now, I'm putting that in air quotes because nations aren't Christian or non-Christian. People are Christian or non-Christian, okay? Nations aren't. Nations aren't saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone that way. Jesus redeemed mankind. But anyway, think, think, think through this real quick. I urge you to entreat, to pray, to petition, to thanksgive, all of those things. I know I worded that kind of, kind of funny. But we're to pray with that mindset for all and all who are in authority. And here's why, or at least to what end so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So think about that for a second. Let's dissect this. So if I'm praying to that end, so that we may lead, who's the we? Us. And in the context, I'd say the believers, the Christian, the body of Christ. I don't think he's talking about just Paul and Timothy. Hey, pray this way so that you and I can live this way. I don't think that's the aim. But so Christians could live this way, tranquil and quiet life, a tranquil and quiet life sounds better and better the older I get. It, oh, man. I mean, I don't know if it was just turning 50 or what during, during the quarantine, but quiet, I like tranquil. I like the quiet. It's nice. Now, I still got to have some people and, and interact, but I like that tranquility a lot more. But here, a tranquil and quiet life isn't just the absence of noise and hustle and bustle. It's, it's living well within that society so that we will not be at war amongst us and the leaders and, and one another. Are we in a tranquil and quiet society right now in America? No, no. We're being pulled apart from every corner, every angle, pitted against each other based on our social standing or the color of our skin. And don't think that's just uh, coincidental. That's intentional, trying to divide this nation. But it doesn't change how we pray. So we're praying that we could live tranquil and quiet life. So, so thinking about praying to this end, to have a tranquil and quiet life, and in light of the situation that we're in now in America, what's some specifics that we could pray? Give me some examples. Those are great. Now, now, now the next one, say it a little louder, okay? <laughs> what's some examples? Yes, ma'am. Forgive them for they know not what they're doing. That's good. That's good. And with that, we should also be praying, forgive me, for I know not what I do sometimes, right? I mean, so, so what else? That's good, though. Pray that their eyes would be open to the truth, that they would no longer be deceived. Yes, that's great. And what? That the truth would be recognized. Highly recognized. That's good. I like praying with adjectives. That's really good. For real. Pray that they would be saved. That's right. And that's, that should be the, 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 the big thing for us as Christians. Pray that God would save them. Pray, And I know many of them, and I think Brent mentioned this earlier, many of them, even in, in Washington, believe that they're saved. And yet, their fruit would tell a different story. Now, you and I ultimately can't judge someone's salvation, but we can be fruit inspectors. And if there's no fruit, there's no root, Right? No fruit over a long period of time. No fruit as a pattern, as a lifestyle. Then there's no root of salvation in their life. That's what we would come to believe. But again, ultimately, God's the one who judges their soul. But we can absolutely pray for them. What else? How else? In light of this leading tranquil and quiet life, what could we pray for? I want to hit on that again. Listen, in light of a tranquil and quiet life in a society today where there is no tranquility, how can we specifically pray right now? Okay. That we would be a light to the rest of the world. That's good. There's still something else I'm fishing for. All of these are good. Huh? Pray for what? Pray for peace and pray for tranquility. Now you're getting closer. and That's good. You are. And so... We'll pray, obviously pray for the kingdom. That's, that's truly, when, again, that perfect government will be established. That's right. But we're here now... And Jesus' kingdom is still out there. It hasn't come here yet. 
and we've got race wars. I'm throwing some really obvious hints, I thought. I mean, we've got all of this race war going on, so we could pray for. Yes, pray for his coming. Pray for them. To make them stop. Huh? Sure, pray for patience, yes. And what else? What, what do y'all mean by tolerance? I don't want to tolerate evil. So, but, 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 but what do y'all mean by tolerance? Maybe I'm looking at it wrong. Protesters learn what to protest. That they become more peaceful and what they work together. Okay, here we go. So I think, were you saying unity back there, mouthing it? Yeah. So, so, all right. So we, how can we have unity with people who are not believers? Okay, so all you see, all these things are related. I mean, they really are. They need to be saved. We need to be saved, and then there can be some unity. But apart from that, we can pray for peace. Pray that their eyes would be open to the truth. Right? I mean, those are good things. Those are all good things. Pray that. Uh, um, pray that people would come to realize that Charles Darwin and those before and after him did not establish how many races there were. But that God established. I mean, you see, there's some specifics here. If that racism is an issue, pray that even that you and I would have the opportunity to share the truth about how there's only one race of humanity. That God created us as a human being. That's an important thing. What else? Yes. That's right. And, I, and I, I, get, I can get on board with that. We, we should pray. And, and I'm going to tweak the wording just a bit. Here's, here's, here's kind of how I look at it. We should pray that the, wor- the church would stop being influenced by the world. Right? The world's going to do what the world's going to do. But we should pray that the church would stop buying into it. Critical race theory. All those lies from the pit of hell. Again, there's one race of humanity. And the church should then be the light that goes into the darkness and proclaims the truth about humanity. Why is abortion murder? Because we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Before I, or, or before I knit you together, that speaks of, of the creative power of God. God says, I knew you. I mean, we should use those things and tell people. Does that mean they're all going to just repent at, at, at every post we make on Facebook? No, but they might. And someone else might see it. And they might. Yeah, that's right. Someone else might see it. We have the mandate to go forward. We can't change anybody. But we can sure tell the truth. And we better tell the truth and pray. So, so all that. So we're praying that their eyes will be open and all these other things y'all said. All good things. They are all good things. So look at Jeremiah 29.7. In fact, for time's sake, why don't you just jot it down and I'll, I'll, I'll read it here to you. Jeremiah 29.7 says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. I mean, on behalf of the city. For, it is, uh, for in its welfare you will have welfare. So, so let's, let's make a principle out of that. Now, now he's praying to Israel here, obviously, and, and they're in um, captivity. But while they were in captivity, which was designed by God as judgment to bring them back to God. And that's where, you remember Jeremiah 29, 11, that everybody loves comes right after all this. Um, but, but after Jeremiah 29, 11 is Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13. And if you, and if you go on, that's, I guess that was funny. I didn't mean it that way. But, um, but as, as you read those other verses, you'll see that because we like to quote Jeremiah 29, 11, right? Uh, uh, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. We love that verse. And, and just like the Second Chronicles verse, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear them from heaven and will heal their land and forgive their sins. We love it. And we quote it and post it all over social media every election year. But in context, the, prince, the, 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 the promise rather was given to Israel in captivity, in, in Babylonian captivity. 
that specific promise. Because he said, if you do these things, then I'm going to heal your land, the land that you're paying for right now, right? Because you didn't let it lay fallow. And so the, the years of captivity that you're in, those are my years that God was demanding back from Israel. He was, they, he, they owed God that for the land. And so, so when I release you, you're going you're gonna to have an opportunity to do right. So I'll bless you. You follow me. I'm going to bless you. All those things, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to have welfare for you, not calamity. And then it goes on to say, if you keep reading the chapter there, it goes on to say, but if you don't repent, if you don't do what is right, if you don't follow my word, then you will pay the price for your disobedience. And so no election year do we hear people posting that, the rest of those verses on social media, do we? It's only the good, the good, the good. But the, the, the principle, however, hold on, let me finish this thought. The principle we can take from verses like this, though, are good and, so, and, and are applicable, I should say. Now, are we guaranteed every election year that if we seek God's face, he'll give us the perfect godly leader? The principle is, though, that we should still seek God's face, right? We seek God's face. And, and in Jeremiah 29, 7, the principle is that we pray for good for the civilization, the society that we're in. I want to pray for the well-being of Orange County here. That's what I mean. Or Jefferson County, wherever county we might be in, right? But I, I want to pray for the good of, of Orange. And so I know there's a big bra, uh, brouhaha going on in Pinehurst between uh, an official and the volunteer fire department over jurisdiction, different things. And they all walked off. And I'm not getting into who's right and who's wrong. But what I should do is pray for the good of that community. Pray for Pinehurst as a community that they would be well-maintained and taken care of should they need and an ambulance, ambulatory services. I don't know if that's the way you're supposed to say that or not. But should they need urgent care, that an ambulance would be available, a fire truck would be available, that, that those critical needs would be met. I can pray for that, right? I can seek the good of the city because as I pray for the good of the city, the principle is that I'm going to be in that good city, right? And I'm going to be subject then to the peace of that city, all those things we talked about earlier. So that, that's the end that we're, that we're praying for. And so, la, la, is it about that? Uh, it, it was about that welfare is government welfare. No, 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 that's right. And that's a good point. Pray for the welfare of the city. That's not for the welfare system that we've set up here in America, that everyone lives off the government. The government was not made to be um, the provider economically of its civilization, of its, of its constituents. Government, by God's design, is different, right? The protection, the, 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 the safety, securing borders. That is a bigger biblical principle than people want to admit today. But the securing of a nation's borders is mandated by God. God establishes nations and borders. It tells us so in the scripture. But that's for another time as well. Go to slide number uh, 10, if you will. Slide 10. It's the four realms. Let's just review these four realms. Not that. Slide 10. That's slide 12. Slide 10. It's two before that. <laughs> I'm on tonight. I don't know what, what the deal is. You can just hit one zero enter and it should go to it. Right? Okay, after that. One after that. That's nine. There we go. All right. There we go. So, way to go, y'all. Right. <laughs> they were, uh, I guess, switching them over got them out of order. But thank you. Thank you. Um, we were having trouble getting them over there. But remember these realms of authority that we were talking about? The, I mean, just about for the last, what, five weeks now. We've come back to them. Now, what happens when, when any of these areas steps out of its God-mandated role? For instance, for instance, the government and the church... PJ already revealed another slide. We'll talk about it another time because we don't have time tonight. But what's the role in the, in the interaction between church and state? What was, what, it doesn't matter necessarily what our government says, ultimately. What it ultimately matters is what God has said about those things. And then, without sinning, we should obi, obi, um, um, abide by our government's Mandates of those things, obviously. But, but, but what happens when the government tries to tell the church how or whether or not they can worship God? 
is, 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 is the government within its realm of authority to do that. And so if it's, if it's out of its realm of authority, say that again. It becomes a state-run religion. And we're going we're gonna to talk more about that later too. But, but, but if it's out of its realm of authority, is it right or wrong for then a Christian to, to rebel and go against the government in that particular situation, whatever it might be? We're, we're natural born rebels. That's right. Okay? We protest. But, but, but you see, do you see what I'm, what I'm getting at here? Each of these realms of authority has been godly design, designed by God. I'm trying to choose my words better here. They've been specifically, perfectly designed by God to operate in a specific, exact way. Now, when they don't um, operate within the parameters that God gave them, that's when we began to see footholds and places of opportunity, if you will, for the church, for the Christian, then to try to make right. That doesn't necessarily mean um, guns and ammo, okay? That doesn't mean rioting and looting. Looting has no place in any of that. That's sin. That's greed, okay? But, but then we have a foothold. When the government oversteps its bounds, according to not just God, but even according to our Constitution, right? Because we're a constitutional republic. Then we have not only the right to say something and to oppose it, but I would say, Christian, you and I have the responsibility to do so. Because we're here now for such a time as this. This is the day in which we find ourselves living and we should seek the good for the society that we're in. And that would mean that we want to help these realms of help. We want to see to it and pray that the realms of authority over us would operate the way God designed them. Now, obviously, no one is never going to be perfect until Jesus comes back, right? But these are the realms of authority. And so what John MacArthur, I think, very well did. I know some people don't agree with how they handle it. Some people are saying, too little, too late, Johnny Mac. Saying, I mean, just stuff like that, like, like any of us in a pastoral position should sit on a high horse at all and try to dictate stuff like that. To, it, just, it just gives me a sour taste um, that these people have said. That doesn't mean that John MacArthur is God and that he's always right. Um, I disagree with him in several places. That means I'm right and he's wrong. That's a, that, was, that was a joke. Y'all didn't, y'all didn't think of it anyway. But, but, but he, this past week, they have prayerfully decided, remember, to now go against the the governing uh, dictator of California because, and here's, here's why. And if you have it, we were going to try to watch this, but we couldn't get it to pull up. If you will look on YouTube or just, just, just Google, what, what was the name of that? Let me see. Um, um, give me one second here. Just Google a triumphant hour for the church to, what does it say? To be the church, a triumphant hour for the church to be a church. Now, that's not the whole sermon that he gave last Sunday. It's a 15 minute snippet of it. And in that 15 minute snippet, he goes through just just very quickly what brought them to the decision to revolt. And I don't say revolt. I mean, it's not like this was the Protestant Reformation or anything, but but they did go against. So so therefore they rebelled against the the governing authorities. But they didn't do so flippantly. And they didn't just quote a verse, you know, out of context and, 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 and then just take off and, and just, you know, we're going to just give it to the man, to the governor. And oh, they, they didn't do anything like that. They prayerfully, patiently tried to endure under it. But when the line was crossed and they were commanded that they could not sing together publicly, they finally said, now the governing is clearly overthrowing uh, or overstepping its bounds. There was a clear violation. Had they violated already in California? I think they had before that. And I'm sure if we could ask the elders of Grace Community Church, they would all agree that they probably believed also. It's just me saying this now, but they probably were aware also that the governor had already overstepped his bounds. And yet they patiently tried to wait. And when it didn't change, except for the worse, then they responded. I thought it was carefully, prayerfully considered. And I think it was a respectable move. So they went ahead and began meeting. Uh, um, officially, I would say. People were already coming back. 
and, and they were meeting unofficially. Uh, as he was preaching to an empty house, he said on, on um, Fox News last night, um, that week by week, more and more people came until finally they were just about full again anyway. And so it brought them to the place where they saw government getting out of its bounds of authority and into the church's realm of authority, and therefore he spoke up. And that's what we should do. When the government steps out of its role, we have to say something. When the church steps out of her role, we have to say something. Same with employment, family. We have to stick within the roles. Now, again, there's a whole lot more we could say. We're out of time tonight. What I think we're going to do now next week, let me just say next week, uh, 63 or four of us will be at camp. Okay? And so, um, and if you're watching and you're still wanting to go, we're at capacity in order to be able to properly separate in our sleeping quarters. So, so we're done. All right, we're done. Um, we're done uh, with, with bringing people, okay? But, but, but saying, saying that, I'm, I'm saying that for this reason. Next week, I will be gone. PJ will be gone. Brock will be gone. Tyler will be gone. Uh, most of the people, Brent's coming on, the people who preach here, okay, who, who speak and teach here, um, we'll all be gone. So probably at this point, there will not be a Wednesday night service at Gapa. We will, however, be broadcasting our services from Quest. I almost said from quarantine. From Quest. It starts with a Q. We'll be broadcasting Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, Lord willing, from Quest. Now, that may change, all right? We may decide something differently about the Wednesday here, but at this point, there will not be a Wednesday night service here on site next Wednesday. But when we come back the following Wednesday, we're going we're gonna to talk about a few other things here, I think. I want us to talk about the church in the state. And PJ threw up there momentarily. Uh, hopefully, hopefully uh, it'll still be a surprise to you at least... All right, you didn't read it. Okay, good. But, but I want us to talk about the church and the state. What are, the, what are the, the realms of authority that the church has versus the state and the state has versus the church? And then let's talk about when the church and state were merged together and the detriment of that and how it derailed the church. And then even during the Protestant Reformation, how the reformers had still been derailed theologically concerning the church and the state. And how even with the, the, how wonderful the Westminster Confession is, they still have a poor, improper, I believe, unbiblical view of the church and state in their roles. And so, and then we'll even see how that leads into an improper view today and is helping to build a one world kingdom, a one world um, religion, one world economy, all of those things. How that, how that misrepresentation and that misunderstanding of church and state are leading to an antichrist system. Now, I know that's a whole lot, but that in the... Week after next, when we come back, that's where we're going to hit, okay? And so that may sound like a whole lot of theory, but I want you to, to, to understand that this is going to be the most practical part. The next week, when we come back, will be the most practical part of all of this. This is where the rubber hits the road. Now, I know we've been kind of applying these things. Even tonight, we made application. We've been applying these things as we go. But when we begin to see how the church and state are out of their bounds, we're going to see how it really affects us and how, uh, A, how it should be, and then, B, how we respond even when it's not how it should be. So, so all that's coming. Does that make sense? Clear as mud, right? Clear as mud. And so any questions then or comments or thoughts about anything we've covered tonight up to this point? I think, yeah, that's all, um, that's really all we have time for. We're, we're, we're out, of, out of time here, out of time. So you know what the answer, yes, sir? You did good. Right, well, 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 thank you, thank you. You know, you know the answer to our government problem, the answer to our societal problems, the answer to racism, right? Critical race theory, economic diversity, all of the things that we're throwing out there pointing to as the problems. The problem is sin. That's the ultimate reality. The problem is sin. All of those other things are symptoms of our true problem. What we need is what we have discussed the last few weeks from Ezekiel 36, 26. We need God to give us a new heart and a new spirit, right? He needs to take our heart of stone. So that's something else we can pray for. God, take Nancy Pelosi's heart of stone or whoever. I'm just using that for example. But, but take their heart of stone. Give them a pliable heart, a heart of flesh. 
And while we're at it, God, please, please soften my heart. Because if you're like me, when I start looking too much into politics, my heart begins to get hard. It does. And that's not right. So we need to pray that our hearts would be softened to the, to the reality that those people are not our enemies. Those systems are, those beliefs are, and their father, Satan, absolutely is. I don't say that to be ugly about them. But again, there's two classes of people, the saved and the non-saved. Children of God, children of wrath, children of Satan. And we should pray for their salvation, that they would get a new heart. So let's do now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this study. And it's difficult because of the times in which we find ourselves in. And yet I'm reminded of Daniel. I'm reminded of his three fiery friends. (laughs) I'm reminded of Paul, even. And the other disciples, like John, who was still alive, even at the, the overthrowing of Jerusalem. The invasion of Jerusalem. who wrote even after being exiled to the island of Patmos, who wrote the book of Revelation, and even therein showing us how Christians are to live. All of these things, how believers in the Lord God really should believe, how we really should then be. And we know it starts with you, O God, giving us a new heart, putting a new spirit within us. As Jesus told Nicodemus, bringing us a new birth. We have to be born again. And so, God, I pray that for folks who are on the Republican or the Democratic side of the aisle. Or maybe they're a libertarian or or something else. God, we all need that new heart. And for Christians, you've given it to us. So may may we vote biblically. May we interact in society biblically. May we be the kind of employee or employer that is honoring to you, that brings honor and worship to your name. May we not say things publicly on Facebook or even face-to-face or, or on Twitter or, or in the office or, or wherever we might be. May we, may we not say sinful things about others who may believe or vote differently than we. But God, may we pray for their eyes to be open to the truth. There is light and there is darkness. All of those other things we've talked about tonight. God, open the eyes of the lost and they would see. Give them that new heart, new spirit that they would believe and live and have their being in you, Father God. May we as Christians continue to As several here said tonight, be the light of the world. You've placed us here as Esther for such a time as this. So may we shine forth, putting off our sin, putting on the fruit of the Spirit, right? Those deeds of the Spirit. May we walk in holiness. Oh God, for your glory, we pray. Christ Jesus' holy name. Amen.